I'm Neil Wilkins, and welcome to The Mindful Living Show. So I'm here today with Brendan Llewellyn, consultant to the financial services sector. And um, Brendan has over 20 years uh, experience in the sector in senior leadership and consulting roles and has a very strong business ethic, which we'll hear about. Um, Brendan also regularly writes for the trade papers. So who better to discuss with us the shape of the financial services industry and how it might look very different, some say more mindful, on the other side of the current situation. So today we'll be discussing the topic of more mindful financial services as we explore how the financial services industry needs to rethink and even reimagine itself to keep up with this growing tide of mindful businesses and also for the potential of a new economic paradigm. So from your perspective, how is the financial sector looking right now? Well, the advantages the sector has is that uh, operationally it is uh, easier for it to deal on a remote basis, perhaps than many other sectors. There are no physical products, for example, there are no shortages. Um, There are no uh, barriers to people dealing either through phone or email or through any online uh, basis, and, and many do so already for a large part of their, their dealings. And as far as people at work is concerned, most of that still applies. I mean, there are clearly challenges in getting an entire company kitted out to work effectively remotely, and there are many serious security issues uh, for many aspects of financial uh, banking, for example. Um, would have particular challenges in, in dealing with data where it's leaving leaving the building. Um, so I think um, overall that bit um, is is uh, better than most other sectors, you might argue. Um, the one area where there are real difficulties is a lot of the businesses in the finance sector um, pay themselves, shall we say, uh, on a percentage of the assets involved. So if you're an investment company, your revenue comes in as a percentage of assets. And if assets have fallen, which they have over the past uh, month or so with a, you know, with a bounce, but nevertheless, they are well down on the start of the year, um, then revenue has fallen. Um, and, uh, and it's a delicate, um, some would say commercially dangerous time to respond immediately to that with with cuts, uh, those that have to will do, but but those that can ride it through um, will be looking to come out of this. Um, the other thing is that certain human needs are perhaps more heightened, various forms of protection, life insurance protection, health protection. Um, there's an increased demand for that, business protection as well. Um, increased demand for that because of an increased consciousness of, of all our livelihoods. Um, so it's a, I think it's, uh, uh, a, a mixed bag. Um, our experience talking to financial advisors is that they are confident about dealing with existing clients remotely, shall we say, or online, um, less confident about starting new relationships with clients, you know, a client perhaps who they haven't met, because that's always been a very, very person-to-person sector where a, a typical relationship might involve you know, three, four, uh, or more meetings face to face. Thereafter, of course, um, people would expect to deal through, um, you know, can we say more efficient digital channels. But the startup relationship has always been face to face for many. Um, so a big question. It has to be a question mark. I don't think we can answer it. 
uh, is can they convert in the short term? I guess the answer will be um, where there's a very clear need for a conversation, um, but perhaps something to do with a, a will or, or anything like that, then I think people, consumers will accept that you know, a face-to-face -face isn't possible. Yeah, it's some, it's interesting, isn't it, really? The way that you kind of describe that is almost being a bit of a, I guess, a sort of a, a mixed feast here in terms of there are clearly going to be some winners and some people who are finding this as a bit of a challenge. And I guess that comes down to sort of individual personalities and the way that people actually have preferences for doing business. Um, and that both is on the, 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 the customer or the consumer side, as well as actually the provider side or the business side. Um, in terms of the kind of the feeling and the sort of, um, I guess you could call the um, sort of experience that um, financial advisors, but also the, the sort of the wider financial services sector is kind of feeling right now. I mean, when we look at the media, um, there's a lot of reporting going on about in uncertainty, about, you know, big, big recession on the other side, the likes of which we've never seen. You know, a lot of the economists are talking about sort of 30%, you know, sort of drop in GDP, blah, blah, blah. There's this huge kind of swathe of sort of risk um, and uh, um, arguably negativity coming through. Are you, are you seeing that kind of sort of manifest in um, sort of actual people and the way they're actually feeling in terms of confidence within the sector? Yes, uh, in a word, yes, there is, a, there is a, a widespread concern. No one in the sector, no one in any sector can be feeling particularly confident at the moment. This is a, an enormously difficult time to be going through. Uh, and, there's, and people are not... Um, uh, machines so when they respond you know if you like as business people part of them uh, they have to respond as humans as well so they may have people that they know they're affected by by the virus or they may have somebody in the family or they may themselves have suffered symptoms all of these things so increasingly everybody knows somebody who's who's either um you know had had very bad symptoms or slight symptoms or, or whatever or, or even worse so that's that's sort of creeping in to the business world um, and then uh, the projections for the economy are, are not um, you know, are, are concerning uh, people are talking about what the shape will be and there's a lot of optimistic talk about it, it will be v-shaped um, which um, others might say it will be w-shaped these these things are um, what the sector does it, it talks in these sort of um, fairly jargonistic terms about you know future future prospects but the underlying point is that the economy will will shrink this year that's not in any doubt um, and whilst there is separation between the fortunes of the stock market and the fortunes of the economy there has to be some correlation at some point so that there has to be concern about the uh, what will the size of the financial sector be um, in say a year's time and if anybody was guessing they would say it will be down and then the next question is that that's not much of a guess a certainty sorry is it will be down the guess is down by how much and for how long yeah i mean certainly when somebody looks in as from a um a consumer perspective um you know so they have um, a set of you know, assets that they're looking to invest, they may well be looking to review their pension situation. Um, there's a whole host of obviously, you know, sort of personals or consumer related um, services that they might be looking to engage with. When, when they look into the industry, and I guess this is becoming 
much more of a spotlight um, as a sector right now because um, with lots of industries they've just gone very very quiet so retail um, entertainment for example travel obviously has had its big um, sort of you know moment in the spotlight um, at the start of the, the crisis but um, now I think sort of more people are starting to think about the real kind of um, more tangible aspects as to how it affects them. When they think about the financial services sector, I mean, a lot of the time, I guess, historically, they've just thought about profit, profit, profit in terms of what is my financial return. Do you think that's actually fair as a reflection of kind of what the industry has been trying to do in recent years? I mean, we've looked at and heard a lot about kind of sort of ethical investment in pensions and wealth management, and that's certainly been something that's been growing. Do you, do you think it's fair to kind of almost put a badge on the whole sector and say, look, you're just all about money, so actually that's quite an ugly thing that we shouldn't be talking about right now? Or is there kind of a better way on the other side that maybe the industry can start to almost start to begin reinventing itself so that it actually feels more kind of mindful, it feels more engaged with the current situation rather than just purely talking in monetary terms? I think if, if we go back uh, a few years, I think in terms of business culture um, and attitude towards the, the consumer, the sector was somewhat caught on the hop because for, um, for a number of years, and I'm thinking quite far back now, perhaps the 60s and 70s, um, the financial sector was somewhat behind the curve uh, in terms of being if like a modern <laughs> profit-orientated business. Many of, much of the sector was um, still uh, what you might call a mutual sector owned by the policyholders and by the, uh, the members rather than the shareholders. And some of these businesses um, operated uh, as sort of enlarged societies or, or clubs and actually had their members, if you like, constitutionally at, at heart. Um, they um, nevertheless, in terms of the way that they ran the business, they weren't necessarily as hard-nosed as perhaps their rivals were uh, in consumer goods or in retail. So the, at the time when they started to get themselves up to speed as modern, um, quotes, aggressive businesses, um, that was the time during the 80s and 90s when uh, things went a little bit wrong because perhaps they were being too aggressive. And it's very difficult to get, when you talk about cultural change, it's really hard to get the get the tone of the change right because you look outside and you think gosh we're um we, you know we don't seem to be as, as sharp as um Gillette uh, no pun intended but you know we don't seem to be as sharp as as Apple or whatever we need to invest in in harder nosed business skills um and not have an objective of keeping our staff until they retire and change our mindset um and then at that same time uh, many of these other businesses in, in the wider world were actually starting to think that maybe there's more to business than profit. Maybe we should be looking at some sort of long-term customer affinity, some sort of customer proposition, and that will be the essence of what, how we run the business. So I think they were sort of caught in the middle going in one direction when the world was going in a different direction. And most people are well aware of the various difficulties, called mis-selling difficulties, uh, most recently the, the finance crash of 2008-9 uh, which you know the ripples of which are still being felt um, now if you look I think if you look now at most of the businesses in the finance sector you wouldn't find much difference um, in terms of attitude towards profit 
culture, etc., than you would in any other large large businesses. Um, it, it's there. There is um, like a coming together in terms of what is acceptable. The the differences are in the execution, and um, there are the when you're going through corporate change. And I think the finance sector has been going through pretty solid change in the right direction for the past uh, 10, 15 years. But when you're going through change, there will be bits that don't quite work. You know, as you'll have a, a, a mission or a, or a vision or a purpose defined at the top, and it won't always be executed perfectly. And sometimes you might have somebody in between. You may have a CEO whose heart is in the right place and the board know what they're doing, but you've also got a sales director that might be um, remunerated on outcomes, um, bonus related pay, for example. And he or she will pass that culture down to the regional manager, down to the branch manager, and then the customers will feel that and they will think, gosh, this company is a little bit sales orientated and perhaps more so than, than uh, other companies seem to be. So it's, um, it's a fascinating time, but it is a, a time of, of not confusion, but of inconsistencies. Um, and then, so the next question is about, uh, is it about money? And I guess if you're a consumer of any of these services, you know, your question is, what is your own motivation? If you start a pension, what is, the, what is your prime motivation in so doing? And without um, prejudging everybody's motivation, many people's objective will be to get the best possible outcome. They will say, I'd like a larger rather than a medium-sized pension at the end of it, or I'd like a good return from my ISA, why would I not? Um, and then, so most most investment management, for example, over the past um, almost in, indefinitely, has been about um, maximising return, taking account of risk, etc. Um, and then we have the question of what other objectives you might have as a consumer, and therefore what other objectives you might have as a provider of financial services. Um, and a proportion of consumers have become uh, more interested in outcomes that relate to the environment, for example. Um, the, the, the letters we use in this sector, ESG, environmental, social and governance, so it's a balanced ticket, it's not just our environmental concern, it might be social, it might be concerned about diversity, it might be concerned about how you treat the staff, and on the governance side, it might be about controls, how is the business run, and what accountabilities are there throughout the business. Excuse me. <coughs> so, um, now, now not, not every consumer has the same view and not every institution has the same view. So again, this is a, it's a moving feast. Um, however, um, the, the, the EC, as was, or, or as, as technically still is, has been doing some work to, to mandate, um, for example, pension fund trustees uh, are involved now in having to take account of a wider range of factors than simply financial outcomes. Um, and that tends to, um, what goes on in the institutional world sometimes tends to migrate to the, the retail world. So we fully expect people to be more alert to factors other than simple financial return. There has always been a notion that if you say to an investment manager, um, I'd like you to make money for me, but I'd like you to only invest in the following stocks, or I'd like you to avoid the following sectors like tobacco and armaments, then that will be a dampener on the return. Um, at the moment, there's no evidence of that. 
And I wouldn't say there never will be, but at the moment there's no evidence that uh, an investment manager needs to uh, compromise on, on outcomes for the sake of, of, of ticking other boxes, boxes other than the financial return. In fact, there seems to be a harmony between um, uh, wanting to do good from your investments and producing a good return. And one of the reasons for that is that um, a company that seeks to market to the, to the public has to be better at all that than they perhaps had to be 20 years ago. It isn't enough for a company to say, we make widgets, please go away. Um, the, the, the procurement division of a company that buys widgets will want to know what the standards are from that widget manufacturer. And the same sort of conversations apply to banks, uh, building societies, um, investment companies, insurance companies. Um, some of the people doing the largest tenders want to know what that company will do uh, in terms of adherence to whether it's United Nations standards or whichever standards. So I'm interested in, in picking up on one of the points that you mentioned there, which was this, this kind of difference, I think, between kind of tangible brands and tangible products and services and this kind of intangible, often intangible nature of financial services. Use the two examples of Apple and uh, Gillette. Now, obviously, those are physically tangible products, which, you know, people can actually almost sort of trace through their whole kind of sort of supply chain, as it were. Um, one, one of the interesting things I'd like to sort of touch on here and kind of explore is this whole idea of potentially greenwashing within financial services because of almost the I suppose the kind of covert nature of, of the kind of supply chain itself. So when you talk there about um, not investing in tobacco and almonds, obviously there's a whole plethora of other kind of sectors which are a little bit more sort of contentious in terms of whether they're appropriate to this kind of new world going forward. I mean, how does the, the industry begin to kind of avoid something like greenwashing when it kind of almost feels sort of morally obliged to be telling a good story? Mm. I think it's a complicated question. Uh, I think that uh, greenwashing isn't just about the supply chain, although the supply chain um, delivery chain is in, important. Um, there is also the tendency of what I would call the tick boxing. Um, so if you are you know, running through a range of potential companies you might invest in, and it might be a thousand companies, and you have to get down to whatever, 50 or whatever, uh, it may be that you uh, reject certain companies on a very simplistic basis uh, rather than necessarily embrace those 50 companies on the most positive basis. So one, uh, one aspect of greenwashing actually is about process where you get to the, the investment outcome you wished. Is it too simplistic? Um, the, other, the other concern is that um, if, you, if you miss out on certain sorts of investment, We'll take an example of um, Amazon. So in, in some senses that ticks positive boxes, in some senses it doesn't. Um, the positive boxes might be that it invests a lot in new technology. And some of the investments uh, you know, will be no doubt of benefit to us all. Um, there are other issues, um, the way in which it treats its staff. Um, the mechanism of delivery is hard to say is helpful to the environment. Uh, maybe partly a conspiracy between consumers and Amazon if we all like the idea that something comes to our door without us leaving. The fact that the van driver has driven a mile, two miles, five miles and only delivers a £10 item 
um, perhaps we put that to the back of our minds. So maybe as consumers, we've got a responsibility to think about that. What are we ordering and what are the consequences of that? Because whatever you think about conventional supermarket delivery, uh, at least it's in bulk. You, know, you make one trip and you come back with a hundred pound worth of 30 items. So there is some process efficiencies there. Um, but back to the question of, of, of greenwashing, there will be some investment managers who have got no real interest in the environment or in social aspects or within reason in governance who have to uh, behave as if they do because you know they're running a fund that's called the ESG fund or the environmental fund and they've been opted into it. But that's been just a tad too cynical. The majority in that sector are extraordinarily uh, committed and, and, and within the financial sector at the moment, anything to do with aspects of diversity, whether it's um, principally gender, but other aspects of diversity, aspects of the environmental impact of behavior and investment are massive areas of interest. You know, the single biggest growth around some research um, just a couple of weeks ago, asking financial advisors what their current thoughts were on trends in the investment sector. The overwhelming figure was, I think, 85% um, voted for um, what might call sustainable investing or, or ESG as being the single biggest trend. Um, if you ask a different question, which is that how many of them automatically talk about it when they're talking to clients, it's still only 40%. So there's a big gap there. On the one hand, 85% think it's the biggest trend, only 40%. Um, are actually addressing it with their first client meeting. That, that has to change. The third interesting stat is um, a much lower number of advisors say that only 9% um, of their clients consider it to be a paramount issue. Um, that, I think if we run the same survey in, a, in a six months or a year's time, that will change. Um, how quickly it will change, I don't know. But um, uh, this is what I mean by, by the idea it's complex. And when you're talking about an industry, does a, people talk about we get the media do we deserve, do we also get the industry we deserve? So if the consumers are asking for a certain thing from their advisor, from, their, from the insurance company or bank or whatever, um, you know, should they be surprised if that's what they get? Um, so the, everybody has to move in the same direction for this whole big movement to work, a movement towards greater sustainability. Uh, the, the responsibility lies equally on the shoulders of individuals as it does on, on companies. If there's a gap between what consumers want and what companies want, there'll be a problem. I think it's quite fascinating when you, you start to kind of delve a little more deeply into this kind of thing, because I think, you know, for, for lots of people listening to this, they'll be thinking, OK, this is really interesting and it's obviously relevant to financial services. But actually, I can see that it's kind of relevant to my business, too, and my industry. I think one of the things that you've picked up there is this whole kind of point of 
differentiation. If, if there are certain um, advisors who are kind of using this as a, um, a little bit of a lever, I guess, to that kind of proportion of um, their potential customers who um, to whom it's actually relevant, and then there are others who are literally putting their head in the sand and saying it's it's nothing to do with me it's not really relevant customers don't want it and also potentially even being in kind of denial even if they do want it they're not even going to talk about it it's really quite interesting um, thinking about this um, from a competitive perspective and again this applies to all industries because advisors typically will have very similar portfolios in terms of what they tangibly can offer so how, how do you see them kind of using this kind of, of thought process to differentiate going forward because there's got to be a huge potential here for them yeah there are some there are some financial advisors who already define themselves as being you know we're all about sustainability and they would market themselves in that way and therefore attract clients in that way and, and run their businesses in that way as well they would have to uh, but they're a minority and that's less than way less than 10 percent probably probably even less than five percent um so um mindfulness or, or sustainability as a source of differentiation uh, is is in its infancy shall we say um differentiation for financial advisors hasn't been required um one of the reasons for that is that the supply of financial advice is quite quite low um which means that uh very rarely does a financial advisor feel in daily or weekly or monthly competition with another financial advisor. Um, 20 years ago, there were a quarter of a million people offering some form of financial advice, uh, many of them working within the banks. That's changed massively due to regulation. Uh, and now there are less than, depends how you're measuring it, but less than 30,000 who would offer a broad-based financial advice service, a lot more who would provide mortgage advice only. Uh, <clears throat> uh, but 30,000 plays 250,000, so to an extent, it, um, uh, they've been able to develop a business and choose the clients that they want to work with. The, um, there's a different problem, which is that uh, unless you've got reasonable amounts of capital, you, you won't get a financial advisor to work with you, there will be no basis for them to be paid because they can be no longer paid on commission coming out of the product. They must be paid by a, a fee ultimately coming from the consumer. Um, so the economics of being a financial advisor don't work really uh, unless the, the client is, is probably slightly older than average and has got a little bit of capital to invest. Um, 20 years ago, if you went along and, and took out a £50 a month savings plan with an advisor, the advisor would be well paid from that. That's no longer possible. So there's a there's a odd set of dynamics. The, the other odd point, which has nothing to do with sustainability or mindfulness really, but I'll mention it, is that um, the people who really need financial advice are the ones who can't really get it. So anybody who's at the, the sort of bottom end of the income of capital um, or perhaps has negative capital, uh, they're not really able to get any, any um, I almost said face-to-face, -face, and we can't say face-to-face -face anymore, but we, uh, they're not able to get any, any individualistic spoke advice. They're able to get generic comment or guidance from various sources like citizens advice, um, but uh, the, the old equivalent of the man from the Prue knocking on the door to the industrial houses. Um, 
housing in industrial areas just doesn't exist anymore. So there is a, um, I come back in the circle to reiterate the point that that means that advisors don't need to differentiate themselves strongly. They must be competent, they must have good people skills, they must have good technical skills, they must be qualified, otherwise they can't practice. Um, and uh, they, you know, they, they must be there when their clients need them. And, and, and these are if you like generic qualities of, of a professional service rather than in themselves uh, areas for, for differentiation. But the differentiation point, you mentioned branding early on, um, differentiation of all institutions in financial services is, hasn't been great either. Um, you know, if you deal with one of the major banks, I doubt that you'd be able to tell much about them that is different to my experience with whichever bank I use. You know, we, we, all, we all want competent delivery of banking services. We don't want to lose our money. We want them to accurately tell us how much we've got and to carry out transactions and payments competently. And we don't really have other requirements from our bank. Now, when a bank has come along and said, we're going to do things differently, and the best example is First Direct, it's great, but they're still a niche player. You know, after how many years, decades in business, they remain a niche, niche player. Um, so it's, um, it's more about, you could call it commodity service banking. Bankers would disagree, but that's, that's what I would say. Um, and when it comes to investments, um, there has been, um, there are huge numbers of people offering offering investment services it's, it's, there's no issue there at all um, it's hugely complex to decide which is the best investment house for your money incredibly so and that market is is still 70 percent intermediated so that you rely on an advisor to, to do the screening if you did that as a consumer well good luck you know um, it wouldn't be easy you'd have to become a full-time hobbyist and even then i, I would i would doubt if it would be um, necessarily easy to do what you want to do it's an area where the information is, is bleak. There is no information that tells us how well individuals do uh, with, their, with their money. Frankly, there's not much information as to how financial advisors do with their money, with your money either. There's no league table of that sort. Uh, they would argue it's a bespoke service. So, um, so, so brand has been difficult. Um, we can point to one or two large investment houses, but there are very few that I can think of. And I've sector for 40 years which have all the characteristics that a brand would normally have i.e the one where you feel an emotional attachment to where you are drawn to them and you fully expect them to deliver exactly what it is that you want from them um, and one of the reasons for that is that one of the key criteria for a brand is consistency of usually if, if it's a tangible product of look and feel you know, expect it to look the way it's looked and if it changes you you, you want to be sort of taught through that change and if it's a um a brand that you consume or something you eat whatever you expect it to taste the same you know it's back to the whole thing about branding when it was when it was invented um you know, 150 years ago even to deliver a consistent service um for a product it is not possible to deliver literal consistency of um you know, investment outcomes. You know, it, it will vary. The judgment will be made by an investment uh, manager that the, the investment manager may do extremely well, but the stock market might drop by 40%. And as a consumer, you feel, well, that's all very well. He's done quite well, or she's done quite well compared to their peers, but I've still lost 
a lot of my money. Does that feel like a consistent brand experience? Well, you know, not really. So what's your big dream for the industry over the coming years? Uh, I mentioned uh, accessibility for advice. I'd like to see uh, changes made, which would mean that the people that need advice can get advice. Um, this particular sector talks about the distinction between guidance and advice. In my mind, that's a non-distinction. Dictionary definition of guidance is the same as advice. Uh, advice, technically, in this sector means something that, as a consumer, you could seek redress for if the, the outcomes go wrong. So that's why advice is important. Um, and the answer to that is either advice in groups, so once we get unlocked, uh, we can go back to groups, and the group might be in a workplace, and we can receive advice there, and that can be cost efficient. Um, and secondly, uh, online. And as sophistication grows daily in what's possible online, and as consumers get used to deal with things online, you know, many consumers have never dealt with the groceries online are now doing so because they, they feel they have to. <clears throat> Prior to lockdown, only 7% of the supermarket uh, revenue was online, uh, and now it will grow to be much more than that. That's a, a side point, but an important point. So people will get used to dealing more remotely. Uh, conversations through, um, I see the share price of, of Zoom has, has rocketed, um, for example. Uh, so I think that will be um, one positive outcome of a, of a like a tragic crisis is that um, for sectors such as finance where the economics require remote or digital communication um, that will be easier perhaps in six months time than it was six months ago uh, and that may make uh, advice more readily available to a wider number of people. Um, as far as the, the wider sector is concerned as a, as a lifetime marketeer I would really like to see the differentiation that you talked about come in. And for it to be in 10 years time, I would like to be able to have a chart with all the 10 major brands offering investment financial services, and for us to all know which of those brands is most suitable for us, just as we could if we saw a whiteboard with 10 car brands on it, we would instantly know and most of us would instantly know which of those cars were right for us. We'd look at one that was called Rolls Royce and think, well, that's far too expensive. And we'd look at another one and think, well, that's, you know, why, why, why do I need a Maserati? Um, and we would know exactly what we would all deliver. So differentiation, um, you know, financially or economically feasible levels of specialization uh, leading to a much clearer set of propositions, that will itself result, will result in lower acquisition costs because there will be a, a more ready, the role of sales as such will become less critical at the moment it remains critical. Um, uh, and the role of marketing would, would rise because the job becomes managing the brand, managing your reputation, managing the client experience, customer experience in a consistent manner to deliver something which in, in the wider world we call uh, a brand. And pulling all of that together, what a more mindful financial services sector we'd have. And I think one of the really nice ways that that could kind of manifest is this real kind of joining together of, as you've um, talked about earlier, consumer demand with the actual practicality of service delivery. If those two things can kind of join together, 
those kind of league tables allowing people to make really informed decisions i think you know could certainly become you know common practice so i think all of us you know on whichever side of the party we're sitting on would certainly welcome that i think we what we need to do is everything needs to be joined up nothing can work if it works through individual components of a system we're talking here about an economic or a financial system individual parts of that system can't really work in, in isolation so if a company is um, for example listed on the stock exchange um, whoever is buying their shares selling their shares must be looking for certain sorts of behavior must be looking must have a reasonably common set of metrics to assess what good looks like. Um, otherwise, a company would say, well, we're launching on the stock exchange and we're all about mindfulness and we've got the following metrics that will assess how good we are at running our business in this way. And if the stock exchange says, well, that's all very well, but your dividends are falling, or that's all very well, but you know, um, I can't see the financial return, it's not going to work. There has to be, um, the way in which you run a business has to be uh, a way in which a your consumers um, value and then b clearly your, your staff and other stakeholders. But taking the capital markets, you know, those responsible for injecting capital into your business have to be looking for the same thing that you think you're trying to do. And once you get that, that's it's like a new form of holistic, isn't it? Really, it's holistic as in the entire thing hangs together. Um, is that a, Pipe dream. Well, the the answer is that um, you know, it, it 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 need not be. It may not be. Um, there will still be companies who focus on the short term, but if consumers um, see the damage being caused by that, then they will start to vote uh, with their feet. We need a stronger, uh, stronger media, stronger press. That's a hugely difficult thing to ask for because um, you know many journalists are. Um, you know, there are less of them in certain key sectors and, and many of them are not able to, to write and express perhaps as, as freely as they might or have the time to research the subject as freely as they might to create the insights that we all need. Um, we, some of us looked at the development of the internet as being a driver for what you're talking about, Neil. And I'm sure to some extent it is, but if you look back at what's happening at the moment, the, the, the internet is Created new forms of, of distribution and media dominance. You know, you could you could see you could see um, Mark Zuckerberg as a kind of digital Beaverbrook or or, or or equivalent. You know, he, he in fact is. And if you look at Google, their their control over the way in which we're fed information is unprecedented. That the, the, never been anything as concentrated as, as Google. So the responsibilities that Google in particular have are absolutely enormous. And, and yet, obviously, at the moment, the accountability is low. So all of that, we talk about everything, all the ducks need to be in a row, and not just being in a row, but, but swinging in the same, at the same speed in the right direction. Media, and the new media, digital media, you could argue it's the most important part of that. It's certainly one important part. The capital markets, Staff attitudes, the will of people running businesses, uh, and the behaviour of the wider digital world all have to be in harmony for us to make progress. 
Brendan Wellen, thank you so much for sharing your time and fascinating wisdom with us today. Thank you.